sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We have come now to Jacob and Esau. And uh, I want to begin with a verse in Romans chapter 9. It's Paul speaking to the Romans about this subject, uh, beginning at verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Isaac was the promised seed, is what he's saying. And not everybody who, are, who, who because they are seed of Abraham, are they children of the promise like Isaac was. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. In other words, while they were still in the womb, Jacob was chosen, but Jacob did not earn it. That's what he's saying. It was not by works that he earned the promise of God. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved. And think about this verse. Jacob, my Lord, I'm glad the Lord says that about me. I hope he does. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And, you know, we are in thy word. We are not Sunday school. Amen. And I have to sometimes pull the veil back for everyone who sat through Sunday school. God hates some people. God is going to not save certain people. And I think those people are few and far between. God offers salvation to all. But he's not going to save the Antichrist, is he? And we're going to see in the book of Genesis, he's not going to save the Pharaoh either. So there are some people, and Esau is one of these people that God hated. And that's good for us to know. Because we get to look at these two men, Jacob and Esau, who are twins. And we get to see, why did God hate Esau? And maybe I should not portray the same attributes as Esau. So let's go to Genesis chapter 25. And we are in verse 19. The generations of Isaac. And once again, we are, um, we are following that genealogy that's taking us from Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman, which will be the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, 
the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister to Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. God had already decided. There was nothing that was going to change this because God had spoken it. There was nothing that Rebekah could have done. There was nothing that Rebekah should have done. And there was nothing that Rebekah could, uh, did not, uh, could, could not have done. God had said it, it was going to happen. He had already decided it. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. Now the name Jacob in Hebrew is Yaakov. And the name Yaakov, they've given it a couple meanings. Um, some is that may he or God protect, uh, protect, may God protect him or May he, God, protect. And uh, the sound of it, though, was selected because its connection uh, to another word, the sound of another word, uh, which means heal, which, which is yachev. And the verb akav means to watch from behind. Uh, yachov means deceitful, sly, or insidious. So he had this name that you could say, well, he, you know, he could fit all of these depending on how you're acting. Right, you could be protected by God, or you could be deceitful, sly, or insidious. And uh, so, the one who grabs the heel, or the one who trips up, is something that you could call Jacob. But as with Esau, uh, Jacob's name would take on a different sense later in life, uh, because he will be a deceiver. Uh, he will become deceptive. And the twins of the births had significance for later events in their lives. And, and he became a heel grabber, a leg puller. He came out holding on to his brother's heel. And when you call somebody a heel grabber or a leg puller, what does that mean? Well, you know, I think you're pulling my leg. That means, you know, you're not being exactly truthful. You're being deceitful. You are deceiving me. Uh, the name Esau comes from the Hebrew word asa, which means to make or completely developed. And I like that. I think that that actually uh, describes this man very well. He was never going to change. He was exactly uh, what he was going to be. And Esau was never going to turn from the way that he was, where Jacob actually had some choices here. And with his name, he had some choices. I could be somebody protected by God, or I could be a heel grabber. I could be a deceiver. And that was his choice. And uh, so we see here, although Rebekah is barren, which seems to happen quite a bit, doesn't it, in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaac prays to God for her, and Jacob and Esau, twin brothers, are born but even before their birth God had already decided the younger 
is going to be more powerful than the elder. And the elder will serve the younger. Now, this is not the usual order of things. This is a reversal of the original plan uh, that we see in the family. But in this startling prophecy, God says this is the way that it's going to be. So those who've been following thy word, we see a pattern, don't we? The pattern of God's rejection of the firstborn. And uh, this continues here with Jacob and Esau. God rejected Cain and accepted Abel. God rejected Ishmael and accepted Isaac. And now God tells Rebekah that the older son shall serve the younger, even though neither one had ever done anything. God already said, this is my plan. Why? And if you're in this class, you know why. Patterns, similitudes, all right, shadows, uh, uh, foreshadowing. God is trying to tell us something in a bigger picture. All these things happen to them for us so that we can look at it as an ensample to us on how we should live. Amen. And so now we come to Esau and Jacob. We've gone through all these other brothers and now we're in Esau and Jacob. So beginning at verse 27, and the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed, that means he cooked or made pottage. It's kind of like a soup. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom, which means red. So not only did he come out red all over his body and covered with uh, hair all over his body, but now he wanted this red stew or this red porridge, and they called his name Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Now remember, God had already said the older would serve the younger. And now it's just playing out here. But I can see that Jacob is already being deceitful. He feels like, yes, I know that prophecy. Why? He's the son of his mother. He's a mama's boy. And mama told him, you know, God talked to me while you were in the womb. And he said that your older brother is going to serve, the, is going to serve you. So now Jacob is going to try to make that happen. But can I say that Jacob does not have to try to make that happen. God's going to do it without Jacob's help. But we already see him being deceitful. And he says, sell me this day thy birthright, knowing Jacob, and the Bible doesn't explicitly say it, but I'll bet you Jacob planned this. Boy, every time Esau comes back from the field, he is starving to death. And if I have some food ready for him, I know he just doesn't have much self-control. I'll say, sell me your birthright, and he'll do it. And he did. Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? Look at that. What does the birthright matter to me? I, I'm going to die. Oh, I can't. I'm so hungry. And Jacob swear, said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. 
Thus Esau despised his birthright. We're going to get a little bit back to uh, the birthright, but right now I want to talk about Esau. Esau lived only for the present. Have you ever met anyone like that? I've seen it. You only seem to care about what's going on right now, what you're eating, what you put on, all these things, you know, the bling that you have, how you look. I've seen people try to look rich and drive these big, beautiful cars and live in these big, beautiful homes and wear these designer clothes and rings on their fingers and necklaces and, and always posting all this beautiful stuff on Facebook, but they are poorer than a church mouse because a church mouse isn't in the negative. See, these guys are in debt to a million dollars. You know, they only care about what's going on now. And Esau was that way. What is happening now? What do people think about me now? What, what are my desires now? What are, what are my hungers now? And I care about that more than I even care about the birthright. So uh, he let Jacob have his birthright for a mess of pottage because he was hungry. Hebrews says of this man Esau in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 through 17, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, it calls him a profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. What does this mean? That when the blessing was given, for the one who was supposed to have the birthright, we're going to see that it goes to Jacob and not Esau. And when he finds out about it, now he wants it. You see, I didn't really care about it then. But now I want it. Why? Well, my brother has it, and I want it. And so he goes, really, it's a kind of a temper tantrum is what he has. And though he sought repentance, which just means I want to reverse what happened. He's not repenting his heart. He's repenting. I want to reverse what happened. I want to take the blessing from my brother and I want it to be on me instead. And the Bible says that he was rejected, though he sought it carefully with tears. And we see Esau described as a profane person. He exemplifies an individual who lives after the flesh, whose God is his belly. Esau, the firstborn, represents the fleshly or carnal man. While Jacob, even though Jacob, we will see, is not a perfect man, Jacob represents the secondborn or the born-again man. If you have been born again, you are the secondborn man. But there's another one hanging around still. There's another one hanging around, and we're going to have to deal with that man. And uh, I find it interesting that his name has a connotation fully formed because Esau was what he was. He was not going to change. He was an earthly man, a carnal man. And we need to take the examples of the firstborn who were rejected by God. God rejects flesh. He rejects our way and demands his way. That's just the way it is. He's God. And Cain wanted God to accept his religion, the fruit of his works, his flesh. Ishmael was a child of natural birth of the flesh, while Isaac was a child of the promise. And now we see Esau, a man of the flesh, and feeding his flesh 
was more important to him than the promises of God. We're living in a time when mankind, like Cain did, try to force God to accept their man-made religions. I remember a time, and I wasn't particularly close to God, and I wasn't, it's not in my notes, but I'll share it with you anyway. Uh, I wasn't exactly far away, but I wasn't exactly close to him. And, I, and my mind was a little bit far from him. I wasn't really thinking about him like I should have, or have, I did not have him in the forefront of my mind throughout the day. But I remember lying in bed, I, 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 I went to sleep, and then about three or four in the morning I woke up, and somebody was sitting on my bed. And I know that sounds strange, but someone was sitting on my bed. And he began to speak to me, and he was the Lord. And I don't know how he was there. I don't know. We don't know about technology or theology of it, but he, he was there speaking to me. And he said, these are perilous times. And he said, men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And I think it was a rebuke to me. But he was talking about these times and that we are in. And I went immediately and I said, well, I know that's in the Bible somewhere. So I went and looked it up. And sure enough, I found it in the Bible. We are living in the last days. And these are perilous times. And men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's what Esau is and what he was. And we're living in a time when mankind loves pleasure more than God. And we're living in a time when people say there's no need for a supernatural birth. God will accept our own works. And that is what Sarah told Abraham. And we went all through that through thy word, but God rejected Ishmael. And now God is rejecting another firstborn. Do you see the pattern here? So Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 5, Except a man be born again. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, he shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is Spirit, And he said again in John chapter 6 and verse 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth or gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Think about this. Esau was this thing that was born of the flesh. And Jacob was this thing that would be born of the promise. And can I tell you that you have both living in you Right now. The Apostle Paul told the Romans, Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, For to be carnally minded, to be Esau, is death. But to be spiritually minded, to be Isaac, to be Jacob, is life and peace. Why did God say, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated? Because Jesus walked with and was, or I'm sorry, Jacob walked with and was led by God while Esau walked in the strength and lust of his own flesh. Our fleshly, fallen nature, what we're born with until we're born again, is unclean. Even after we're born again, it's unclean. But we are unclean and our fleshly nature, what we uh, what we inherited from Adam is an enemy to God. The Bible says the flesh wars against the spirit. They are opposites, just as Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau. Cain murdered Abel. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And as 
we will see as we continue our studies, Esau will seek to murder Jacob. And we've gone through this before, but see, I have to take the Bible as it's written. As the stories come, we see that false religion, that the fleshly carnal man with his false religion wants to destroy the son or the child of the promise. False religion, false Christianity has been the source of persecution of true believers throughout the saints. And more saints have been murdered by false Christianity than by all other enemies of God's people combined. Man-made religion based on the works of the flesh hates the children of the promise. And we see that with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were men in Jesus' time. And they perverted the law of Moses. They formed a religion that was based on their traditions and the traditions of their elders instead of the truths of the Scriptures. And these were men who believed that they knew the Word of God, which Jesus had testified of Him. And they were the ones who had the Messiah nailed to the cross. Amen. These same religious men persecuted the children of the promise. Who? The church. In the book of Acts, we will see them persecuted by these men. Jesus had told the disciples to wait for the promise of the Father. And when He spoke of the promise, He was speaking of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you were one who was born of the promise. Isn't that beautiful? The same promise that God gave to Abraham and He gave to Isaac and He gave to Jacob. There's an old song that He is the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but He's also the Lord God of me. He's my God. Amen. Because I am a son of the promise through the Holy Spirit. Amen. And in order to please God, we can be and must be sure of this one thing. God hates the fleshly nature, and He will never accept religion uh, based on the flesh, perfected by the flesh, solely by the flesh, presented in the flesh, or have anything to do with the flesh, period. That is God. And Esau represents the fleshly carnal man. As the firstborn, the promise God gave to Abraham, then to Isaac, uh, should have gone to Esau. Esau should have received that promise. But because Esau cared more about the flesh, he lost the promise. He lost the birthright, selling it for a bowl of stew. And what is the promise? What was the promise that was to come to this man Esau. It's the blessing of Abraham. And the Bible says that Abraham was blessed in all things. And the blessing of Abraham, though he was blessed in all things, it revolved around one particular seed. Not a seeds as in at plural, but seed as in singular. The seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3, the one with the birthright, would be the one from whose lineage Jesus would come. Can I tell you that had things gone according to the way that they could have been, had Esau not been rejected by God, 
The nation of Israel could have been called the nation of Esau. This is a big deal, right? We might talk today about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And the tribes of Israel would be named after the sons of Esau. And Jesus would have come through the lineage of one of those sons. But Esau sold that privilege for a bowl of soup. That's the flesh. That's carnality. That's why God hated Esau. And look at this man, Jacob. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. No, Jacob should not have done what he did. But at least it showed he wanted it. It means more to me than it does to Esau, who would sell it for a bowl of soup. Jacob have I loved. See, the Lord loves you. Sometimes when we misplace our desire and do things that we ought not do, the Lord looks down and he says, you should not do that. And I'm going to teach you, son, not to do that. We're going to see that he does that to Jacob in some of the most brutal ways. But I love you because you obviously care about the things of God. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Is it possible that we could be guilty of selling our birthright? Because we have a birthright. We have the promise. Could we be guilty of selling our birthright as Esau did? How much do we love the promise that God gave us? How much do we love this Christian walk? Is it everything to us or is it just something that we do on a Sunday or a Wednesday? And I'm so glad that I'm saying it to this congregation, to this group that's here. Because you came out here on a Monday night because you have a hunger and a desire to learn more about the one who saved you and about his word. But we must never combine flesh and spirit. And we're going to see that. Wait till we get to Leviticus. You'll understand if you haven't read through that book. We must never combine flesh and spirit. We must never pervert the one true gospel with the way of the world or with worldly wisdom. Our generation is not the first to think it knows better than God. They've been doing it for generations. And we are not the first to try and blend that which is flesh with that which is holy, as if by somehow calling it holy and giving it our approval, God won't notice. God will notice. Even the best of intentions will utterly fail to measure up. Amen. Many churches in America have forsaken the teaching that there is a judgment day. There is. And there are eternal consequences for what we do and sometimes it's no longer popular to preach the truth you can turn on your television on sunday morning and see that that is the truth look at some of the teachings that are out there where there's no reverential fear of the lord and and uh, the gospel has been replaced with bless me clubs 
I, I have gone to churches where I will hear maybe one verse from the Word of God and then they'll talk about something that's not even in the Bible that frankly I could have gone to a Buddhist temple and probably heard something very similar because it's not the gospel and I want to slam this home this is thy word and we're all adults and we're all grown-up Christians I don't see really any new converts here but the doctrines that these people teach are the doctrines of Cain they are the fleshly religion of Ishmael and like Esau they despise the true birthright of the promise and seek after the carnal fleshly things of this present world and now we come to that verse that the Lord spoke to me it's in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 Paul told Timothy this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy without natural affection truth breakers false accusers incontinent fierce despisers of those that are good traitors heady high-minded lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God having a form of godliness now I want you to look at this he's not talking about the world because these are people who have a form of godliness he is talking about people who are calling themselves the church but denying the power thereof what is that power and it's look I love the Holy Spirit and I love the presence of God and that is power but really I think what he's talking about here is the power of the gospel and the power of the gospel comes down to one thing and it's made out of wood like the rod in the hand of Moses it's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that is the power of the gospel in other words we'll have a form of godliness but without the cross you can do whatever you want as long as you come and we'll just do away with the cross ever learning uh, the Bible says uh, uh, but denying the power thereof from such turn away for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with divers lust ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth you can't come to the knowledge of the truth if you're not walking in the spirit now as Janus and Jambres and I want to point this out now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses so do these also resist the truth men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was Janus and Jambres now Janus and Jambres were the magicians of Egypt we're going to come to these men they're not actually named in the book of Exodus but historically these are their names and now biblically because Paul said it these are also their names Amen. They worked against Moses and Aaron in an effort to undermine their message. They were preachers of God's gospel. A gospel, and what did they preach? They were preaching, let my people go. They were preaching a message of deliverance from slavery, from bondage, and from the gods of Egypt or the gods of the world. That's what we preach. We preach a message of deliverance. We, need, we preach a message that frees people from slavery and from bondage and from the gods of 
this world. And how did Janus and Jambres work against Moses and Aaron? And if, as we get to Exodus, we begin to see what they did. And what they did was they mimicked the signs that God gave to Moses. What does that mean? Well, God gave Moses, God said, what is in your hand? And it was a rod. He said, cast the rod down. And he did, and it became a serpent. And he said, take it by the tail. And he did, and it became a rod again. He said, show this sign to Pharaoh. And that was only one of the signs. But he, he takes that sign to Pharaoh. And he and Aaron are standing before Pharaoh, and they throw down the rod, and it becomes a serpent. What did Janus and Jambres do? They took their rods, and they threw them down. And this could have been sleight of hand. It could have been a magic trick, but I don't believe it was. See, there are always two ways these people do it, even today. One is by an actual demonic power, and the other is by the cunning of men. But either way, this is how Janus and Jambres did what they did. It was the signs, and the rod of Moses as a serpent swallowed the other serpents. And Still, sign after sign that God gave to Moses was counterfeited by these magicians until finally they had to admit that God was the one actually doing the signs for Moses. And Paul told Timothy, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. I am not concerned one bit about the satanic church in San Francisco. I'm not, convinced, I'm, not, I'm not concerned one bit about people walking around wearing all black and pentagrams and saying, I put a hex on you or a curse on you. And it's like, well, you're going to have to go through a whole lot of blood to get to me. But what does concern me is the counterfeit. You see, if, G, if, if Satan had a church, it would be the biggest church in the world. He would wear the nicest suits, he would have the perfect shoes, he'd have the perfect hair, he'd have the perfect smile, and he would have a doctrine that everybody wanted to hear, and they would flood his church. You know that to be true. Amen. When I was a young man, and this is a story which I've never told a group of people in a setting like we are in, but I think a, enough years. Hey, I'm 51 today. Hallelujah. A, uh, enough years have gone by that I think I can tell this, especially to a mature audience of, uh, of Christians and mature and maturing Christians. Uh, but I believe uh, that the time has come for me to tell it, and I believe it's important for the church to learn and exercise discern discernment. And since we've come here, let's go ahead and talk about it. When I was a very new Christian, I was 17 years old, there was a man who billed himself as the Christian magician. Now, Janus and Jambres were the magicians of Pharaoh. And I believe that God allowed this to happen in my life to actually teach me about these men, Janus and Jambres, and how they come against his people. But this man focused on children and offered to come perform Christian magic. It was magic with a Christian message. And his wife also helped him. And what kind of troubled me at first, but I was only 17, so it didn't trouble me very long. But he guaranteed that any child in that church would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost if he came. 
Now if somebody tells me that, it's an immediate no for me. And he advertised the numbers who had received the Holy Ghost in the churches he'd already been to. You know, we had 17 here, 20 here, that kind of thing. And at first I was enamored by him. I was intrigued by his magic tricks and his personality, likable guy. But uh, then I went to one of his children's services. And can I say here, Sister Tanya, that the children's ministry is very important. Amen. Yes, it is. It's very important to God. Yes, it is. And it is often the focus of attack from the enemy. Yes. Look at Jesus. Every two-year-old boy was killed in, in, in Bethlehem. Look at Moses. The boys were thrown into the Nile. They, the devil attacks the innocent. Yes, and uh, we must be vigilant to protect our children. Our, our children cannot protect themselves. And I can attest firsthand to the severe damage this man caused in the lives of many of the children that were there. The Christian magician put on a magic show, then he called all the children to the front of the church. His wife went back to the, to the back of the church. She began to make these little balloon animals. And then this man got up and he said, come to the altar and you're going to speak in tongues. Do you know what speaking in tongues is? And he kind of goes off and he kind of does tongues. And he says, now if you'll speak in tongues, look back there. My wife will give you a balloon animal. And so, of course, we had all these children. They were down praying, and I'm 17 years old, and I'm like, he tells everybody to pray with him. I'm down praying, and, and I, I'm looking, and the guy, the boy I'm looking at, you know, is, is, or I'm praying with is looking behind him, and he's looking back at the balloon animals, and he's doing this. And he wants the balloon. And this Christian magician, so-called, went going around and touching the children on the head and saying, that's the Holy Ghost, go get a balloon. And so, of course, everybody else wanted a balloon. And uh, can I ask you, what are tongues? What are tongues? They are a sign. They are a sign of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what did the magicians of Egypt do? They offered counterfeit signs so I was praying with that child and he was far more interested in the balloon animals than getting the Holy Ghost and finally this guy came over he put his hand on his head and he said that's the Holy Ghost son go get a balloon and I remember you know I was 17 years old and I didn't know what to do but I know and I knew he did not receive the Holy Ghost so I said he didn't receive the Holy Spirit and he said, yes, he did. Children receive it different than, than we do. I said, I received the Holy Ghost as a child, and that was not the Holy Spirit. And then he said, yes, he did. Son, go get a balloon. And the boy's looking at me, you know, to, did I really receive it or not? And I said, he did not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he took his microphone, and he started just rebuking me in front of everybody. And I didn't know what to do, so I, I finally just left that night. But that was somebody who perverted the gospel, who as Janice and Jambres with, uh, withstood us and had a counterfeit. And I'm going to close with this and then we'll get back to Jacob and Esau pretty soon but because I'm running out of time. But I want to share this with you. Ten years went by. I'm now married to my beautiful wife, Lonnie. I'm now a minister at the, at the time. And I went to a, a big meeting. It was a uh, pastor pastoral anniversary at a very large church where the presence of God was, a very powerful church at the time. 
And I don't, I, I, I listened to the message, there was an altar call, and what they had done is they divided the children from the adults, and they were having children's church. And for some reason, I wandered over to the children's church. And as I walked in, their church was also completed, nobody was preaching, there was no altar going on, nothing was going on, just a bunch of children being children, like after Sunday school. And I remember I walked in and I looked around and I kind of stopped because I didn't even know why I had I didn't know why I'd wandered in. And while I'm standing there looking at these children, I the entire atmosphere vibrated. That's the only way that I can explain it. It was almost like reality bended. And I felt a vibration. And I'm like, what is going on? And the Holy Ghost fell. And there were 150 children. Oh, and of course, I didn't go around and count them. I didn't ask them afterwards. I'm just watching. And everywhere that I looked, Sister Tanya, little children started weeping and speaking in tongues as God filled them with the Holy Spirit for real. And I'm standing there. I'm like, what is going on? And to my right comes a voice. And it's a terrified voice. I hear a man to my right say, who, who's doing this? And I thought, you know, that's kind of a strange question. We know who's doing this. Yeah. And I looked to my right, and it was the Christian magician. Ten years older, looking for another church to come sell his wares. I looked at him, and his, he was trembling. And his mouth was hanging open and his eyes were wide and he was terrified because he met the reality of his counterfeit. Oh, it was a beautiful day. <laughs> it was a beautiful day. And I remember we're looking at him and I said, I pointed my finger in his face. I, I've got, and I don't think he ever recognized me. Because I, I was a little bit fatter by then. And I put my finger in his face. And I looked him right in the eye and I said, God is doing this. God is doing this. But can I tell you, church of God, that there is a counterfeit. Mm -hmm. And we're going to leave Esau. We're not going to come back to this for a while. There is a counterfeit Cain. And Cain brings his offering of the flesh thinking that God must accept him. But God rejects him. And there is a counterfeit promise, and that's Ishmael, where it was the works of the flesh of Abraham and Hagar. And God says, I reject that. I only want the child of the promise. I want the miraculous birth. That's the only thing that I'm ever going to accept from you. And now we see Esau, and God says, I'm not even going to let him get born before I make the decision. I know what he is, and I will only accept the child of the promise. Church of God, were that way. Esau and, Esau and Jacob were twins. Now, one was hairy and reddish, but still I think they probably looked quite a bit alike. And can I tell you, Jacob, and if you are born again, if you're a child of Isaac, you're a child of Jacob. He's the promise. That promise went all the way down to Jesus. If, you're, if you are in Jesus, you're a child of Jacob. 
And can I tell you, Jacob, that there's a twin. And he's still hanging around and he looks very much like you. And when you look in the mirror, you can see him or her. You're looking at Esau. And Esau wants to do everything that makes Esau feel good now. And Esau could not give two pennies for the promise. He doesn't care about the things of God. And we need to look at ourselves and say, am I going to follow Esau? Or am I going to be a child of the promise? What am I saying? We must not walk after the flesh. That's that old man that we have. All these things that the flesh wants to do that are contrary to God. We must follow after God by faith. And I'm not even going to get onto the works thing because there are the works of the flesh. But we must walk in the Spirit. And it really comes down to motivation. I shared with you about the audience of one. And it comes down to who our audience is. Do we want to be seen of men? Or do we, uh, do, we do what we do for the praises of men? Is it for money? Is it for fame? And I have to ask myself, boy, if I got a call and say, hey, people are really loving thy word out there, but we need you to change some things and we'll put you on television. You'll be a big hit. You'll make T.D. Jakes look poor. But, but, you need to cut out Genesis part 13. You need to cut out Genesis part 12. And you need to cut out where God said this because people just don't want to hear that. I have to ask, what would Ricky Taylor do? What would that part of me do? Because Esau will raise up and say, what? Well, I could do that. You know, I'm still teaching part 14, 16, 18, and 19. But the Spirit says, no. You're not going to water down this gospel. You're not going to take the cross out of the gospel. Amen. And it's what we do for the unseen audience of God. Anything else is flesh. If our motivation to pray, to fast, to outreach, to do any of these things is the approval of men or to be great in the eyes of the world, then we miss the mark. So I'm going to do something here that we haven't done in thy word. And I'm going to issue you a little challenge. And the challenge is simple. I want you to do something big this week for the Lord. Now, the Lord will talk to you and tell you what it is. Son, I want you to do this thing for me. And I want you, and I don't care if it's a fast or a set time of prayer, or you're going to go talk to a certain number of people, uh, of people about the Lord. I don't care what it is. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart, do not tell anyone about it. Don't tell anybody. In fact, if you're married, try not to even tell your spouse. Unless you have to. Unless it has to do with a bank account. <laughs> Babe, that's directed to you. <laughs> Babe, I gave to that ministry. How much? All of it. 
But do it only for the Lord. Do it only for the Lord. Don't, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Do that for Him. Say, God, I'm doing it by faith that you see it. And that you who, you who sees and secretly will reward and open. If you will do that. Amen. Galatians 6.8 says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Amen. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for thy word. God, we thank you for the premises and the, and, and, and the statutes that you have put down, Lord, in paper. We appreciate your word. Your word is truth. And I want to thank you for all that you have done and all that you are doing in this church. I believe that you have chosen upper room, Lord, to carry the promise, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, Lord, the latter rain that is greater than the former rain in the last days, Lord, that you will move through us through the Spirit, Lord, not in a counterfeit, but in a reality, in the original powerful, sincere move of the Holy Spirit in this city and in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. God bless you. We'll see you next Monday. Amen. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart I love your